Well, it's always a privilege to come up to Hull, and I really mean that. We were in Rotherham last weekend and Wigan, and so we're doing working east across the northern band. But it's so fantastic to be with you. So, this is war. Quite often when we have that title, as Christians, we go a bit, <laughs> that doesn't sound very gracious and loving and nice. But how many of you know that you're in a battle sometimes? And you, you, you know, you go into war and you find you're in a battle with yourself. Oh, help, why did I do that? I really decided I wasn't going to and now I have and oh poo, what do we do? <laughs> Or, I'm in a battle with someone, but I know I shouldn't be, but why that atmosphere always just triggers me. Or, in your marriage, you get to certain subjects and it's like, it's a no-go area, but oh dear, we went there and now firework party begins. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? And at every level of life, there is war. But I want to maybe pick the war to looking at understanding atmospheres within our nation. And understanding the incredible privilege that I believe Hull has in Britain at this time to declare war to the enemy's game and give him double for all the trouble that he's given to your city. And to say, it's enough now. And I believe a little bit of the mama bear and the dada protective should say, seriously, it's enough. And do you ever feel that? I've had enough. You want your little feet to get stroppy and it's like... So I want you to watch a video with me this morning. We're in a cinema, it seemed appropriate. <laughs>
come on. This is raw. Let's light those beacons. You see, so often we think what we're doing in that place of prayer is pretty minimal. But we've got to understand that God is saying, come on, it's time to light beacons. All through history, in the natural in this nation, there's been a lighting of beacons to signify a shift, a change in our nation. It's used in times of celebration. Finally, an era has finished. Send the word out. There's a new king. There's a new government. There's a new mandate. Or it's been used. This is war. There's a new enemy. Wake up. And I believe that's what we're doing in prayer. And if you look at some of the prophetic words and promises and mandates that have been given to the church in this nation, there's been a strong mandate given to the churches of the north saying, rise up, wake up, light the beacons of Jesus, and actually something is going to flow down those mountains. And as I watched that clip, I thought of the Pennine Way and all the, the spine of England getting lit with a new fire and glory of God. How many say, yeah, I'd like to see that. And I believe that in times of trouble, God wants to raise up a standard. God wants us to lift up that distinctive of Jesus. God wants us to light new fires of hope and breakthrough. And that's why we pray. We don't pray just to tick a box to feel good. Now maybe God will give me something. But actually prayer shifts atmospheres, sets mandates, and we build something in the spirit that then can come to earth. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom, thy will be on as it is. So we've got to build something in those heavenly realms. This is war. What do we mean by that? I believe it's time for the church to find its big yes. You see, God is waiting for the church to say yes to certain things. And as we like beakers, we say yes to morality. We need to take that high ground. And sometimes we feel intimidated. You know, get off your high horse. Who do you think you are? But God, I believe, has given us mountaintops to set a beacon of hope and distinctive to say, no, I believe. And we need to make our big yeses. I believe in the biblical structure of marriage that God has given us men and women together to form new generations, to change. Come on, Wilberforce stood in this very area, broke slavery and captivity and set a legacy of generations. Much of the Wesleyan and Whitfield revival spiritually, unfortunately, is not very evident. Even amongst the Methodist Church, birthed by Wesley, full of fire and revival, is not very evident in many churches. But when it comes to the reformation or the reformatting, refounding the actual statutes and legislations of a nation, still what Wilberforce fought through all those years until 1884 was then birthed in the statute book stands today. Thank you, Jesus. So I believe God is asking Isaiah 60 verses 1 to 3. Come and read it with me for the screen. One, two, three. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises on you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, 
and kings to the brightness of your door. Amen? Arise. I believe it's time to arise. It takes courage to stand up. And that is what prayer is. Prayer is actually standing up and beginning to partner with God. It's beginning to have his heart echo through your heart. It's an agreement. So much of prayer is alignment. It's we align on earth, but it's the greatest alignment is heaven and earth come to life. God, I want to say what you're saying. There's a wonderful little Greek word, homologeia, to say the same thing that God is saying. And so we begin to listen into heaven and we rise up and say, no, that is the authentic sound. That is what I want to sound out at this time. How do you say, yes, God? And so we say, let it be according to your word. And the word of the prophetic promise is that from the north of England will come a mighty revival. That God wants to light fires here. God wants to light signs, wonders, miracles. He wants to fill stadiums. He wants to see the gospel of Jesus preached. And that has been said again and again. 1963 with a woman, Jean Darnell. But again and again and again. Now, I live in Oxford, so hurry up, Hal. We're waiting. <laughs> we want it to come down the nation. But I feel God is saying, please stand. Arise. The church has been weary, but it is a time to stand up. Wake up. Kellogg's school folks, wake up and shine. <laughs> it's not a time for apathy and complacency. And you see, digging in that prayer place wakes up our spiritual communication. We begin to talk to God. And once God begins to talk to us, he disturbs our comfort zones. He challenges our character. He refocuses our vision. And actually, we wake up. How many of you feel awakened? Because you've been in the presence of Jesus. We, Gordon and I have the privilege of being downtown in Harlem, your historical heart last night. And as we just walked around, I have noticed that many people speak of Hull, and I was in Rotherham, as I said, and Wigan and that, and I was surprised even in the North, I thought maybe it was another of those horrid North-South things, but even the North speak badly of Hull. Why are you going to Hull? And I thought, what is this negativity? Arise, shine, the glory of God on you. There is a darkness and a thick darkness. Well, there is a darkness and a negativity, but God wants to reverse that curse. So come on, let's arise. And so when I walked down in the historic heart, what I began to find is there is a proclamation in the natural yeah. from heart. Yeah. You look at all the yeah. flags, be amazed, be inspired, be empowered. Those were the three words, inspired, amazed, empowered, on flag after flag all around your historic city. <laughs> and then they were just putting up banners, and I'm afraid I... I took a photo, but I didn't have time to embed it into my PowerPoint. And it says, Hull, glory awaits. And they're huge big banners for the new 10-kilometer charity run. But I thought, let it be according in the natural. Come on, church, arise. You see, I believe it is time to rebuild the watchtowers. You see, if I step down here, I have a very different perspective. If I get even lower down, uh, an even different perspective. And the lower you step down, 
You lose perspective. And you see, as the church has this incredible, maybe politically correct urge to merge, and we get down too much amongst the everyday life, we lose the true perspective of what God wants us to see. And God said, come on church, time to rebuild the watchtowers. The position from which you pray is always from a wall. Did you notice that? Get up! Stand on your wall. Why? Because then you get a different perspective. You separate a bit from the people pressure. And the picture in the Israeli times was, you see, city life went on inside the walls. But if you separated yourself from the village city life, it was a separation. And you stood on the wall, you immediately had two perspectives. You could see into the city light, but you could see what was coming to threaten the city light. It's a two-way street. You get a better perspective of who's going where and what's going on. Where are, how many of you get what I'm talking about? For some of you in your marriages, you need to step out. You've got so engaged and you've got your main things have become the wrong thing. And God is saying to you this morning, get out and get up. Stand on the wall with me and see what I've given you in your home and your marriage. Get a new perspective because the wrong thing has become your main thing. Sometimes within your city, within your work, within the nation. We've got to shift some of our perspectives. Now, I'm not particularly Tory, Labour, UKIP, whatever. But I was absolutely delighted that God graced Britain with a government that was stable, that we weren't going to have an election every nine months. That to me was an absolute miracle. And I have stood on a wall, stood back from all the political shenanigans, and, but I've begun to say, oh God, thank you, you've given us a majority government against all the odds. And when things like that go against predictions, I think, okay, what's God doing? You see, I want a different perspective. I want to Take off political hats. God, what are you doing in our nation at this time? How should we be praying for our government and for our prime minister and for those in authority? I urge you strongly, give high priority. Pray for those. How much of your prayer life has an urgency to pray for what goes on in Westminster or in Brussels? You see, God wants to change our perspective. Get on the wall. I believe he's wanting to wake up that cry that begins to say, no, not on my watch. No, it's enough now. Sex trafficking and all that's going on. I work in Moldova and that is one of the funnels, unfortunately, which much of the stuff comes through into Europe. And there has to come a cry finally that says, no, it's enough now. And so we're doing a lot of stuff there. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you see, that is how we're called to really pray. To watch and then pray. Get up on the walls, get a perspective. Watch and then pray. Because otherwise we usually pray from our personal position. But God's saying, disconnect from your agenda. Get on that wall, watch and pray. And then you won't fall into the temptations of all your own biases. The spirit is willing. How many of you feel much more engaged in the place of prayer? Your spiritual life says, yeah, this is being good. You see, our spirit, when we give 
ourselves and come to worship, we think, yay, let's do it. But how many have discovered your flesh is weak? And we, this morning we've got to make that decision and make that connection. That actually, although my spirit man goes, yay, my natural man goes, no, bed's better, stay in bed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so we've got to help our body come into alignment with what we know our spirit is asking. We need to just confront lack of discipline. I just need to do it. And, you know, I talk to myself and I sound like my mother. Come on, Rachel, it's good for you. Get on with it. And we need some of those good talks. And I feel that God is challenging us that this is a season to be alert and to take hold of the areas where we know God has been irritating us and our spirit is willing, but our flesh is going, nah. And you see, it might be the end of your first project of prayer or your preaching series. How many of you know this is just the beginning, it's not the ending? And hopefully what's happened is You've been irritated, and I come to irritate you even more today. <laughs> and I want to irritate. Yeah, you've been on a great journey, but this is just the beginning of an adventure. And your spirit has been made willing, but now will you position yourself to make some big yeses? Yes, I'm going to pray. Make some bold noes. No, I'm not staying in bed. Yes, I am going to pray and come to the early morning prayer meeting. You see, we need to be very intentional. Because prayer doesn't just happen. Prayer is carved out of your week. Isaiah 21 verse 8 says, And the lookout shouted, Day after day, my Lord, I stand on my watchtower every night. I'm ready. I'm in place. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've really felt God challenged me in 2015 is I want a new consistency for me. I actually want you to follow through and finish it. And I know in my life I'm a good starter, but I'm not always a good completer. Because I'm a visionary, so I have loads of ideas, so I run with all of them and then wear myself out and can't finish them. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's Alpha Omega. He is the starter completer. And, and so in your journey of prayer, come on, cheerlead each other and say, we're going to finish some stuff here. We're going to push this through to the line. And I want to ask, are you courageous? You see, when we looked at that video of lighting those beacons, you see the young man in the beginning climbing that wall. It wasn't exactly going up a flight of steps. And right at the moment when he is about to break through and light that first beacon that would start the trigger effect right across the nation, his rope broke. But I believe God is looking for radical young lions, people who are ready to put a bit of welly into it, to really put some muscle and grind, to hurt themselves, to say, okay, it's going to cost me something, but I'm ready for the sake of a nation. I'm ready for the sake of a generation. I'm ready for the sake of the rising ones to get a bit of a blood on my knee and push through. God is asking us to do a little bit more. Isaiah 52.8 Listen, your watchmen, lift their voices. They're shouting for joy because the Lord is returning to Zion and they know they're going to see it with their own eyes. 
There is no greater joy than having pushed and pushed in prayer and saying, Yay! I can see it. It's coming. It's coming. It's happening. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And for me, I love prayer. But just as Jared said, my whole love of prayer is, let's see it finished and accomplished. And I believe God wants. There's people in here. You've been pushing through prayer and God says, come on, hold, hold, hold. And waiting time is never wasted time. Say it with me. Waiting time is never wasted time in the kingdom of God. And we have to learn that patience of standing, watching, with great expectation. He says, come on, be expectant. Wait, I can see it, I can feel it. I've got an expectancy of our, for our nation, how many of you? I believe that greater things are still to come from this city here in Hull. I believe that you were a reformer nation, a city in our nation in the past, come again. You were a missional nation, sending missionaries in the past, why not again? There is something that needs to be dug out and released and set on that beacon. Come on, light those beacons. Don't hold back. It's a time to be strategic. But so often, what the devil does is he makes you weary because he tells you to look back into the wrong time zone. What do I mean by that? Well, you pray and you pray. And you think, oh, nothing's happening. And say, yeah, look, it's got worse. How many of you prayed for a situation that got worse? I can put both hands up. And you begin thinking... Oh, what's it doing? But you see, that's part of the enemy's ploy. Is he wants to make you weary in doing good. But you're doing good, but he wants to put a weariness on you. And he says, oh, look back. In the last two months it got worse, not better. No, but I want you to look into the, some of the right time zones. Look back five years. How many of you would say that even in your own character, actually, you've seen something grow in five years? Look back 10 years and think, wow. You see, but the devil will always take you back 10 days and say, yeah, but look at the way you lost your temper. You even swore. <laughs> and then you beat yourself up with that. But God wants to break off that condemnation and every shame and blame from that place of prayer. Because that often makes us really weary. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God says, come on, arise, shine, head up, shoulders back. Glory of God's on you. Yes, there's darkness around, but stand up. Take your watchtower. Find your position. Watch and pray. And watch right. Watch what God has been doing. And let the joy of the watchman, wow. Something has happened. And you see, once we get that revelation, then together we become the church, which is a light on the hill. You see, the church needs to be that beacon. Come on, we need to be light on the hill. I just had the privilege of being in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And there, one of the amazing pictures is the sculpture of North Carolina very similar to your this is war picture, but rather than carrying the cross, they were carrying the regimental colors of the North Carolina, um, North Carolina Regiment. And there had been a bit of a history that 10 colors of different regiments had been carried in that battle. 
Only one colour had made it to the line with the man and the colours intact, unwounded. And that was this one. And that was because the men got roused their colour bearer because they suddenly realised if you carried a distinctive and if you became the light and carried the colours, you became a target for the enemy and everything tried to take you down. And so what some of the other regiments did is they hid the colours and got them there. But then the problem was that the regiment did not know where to rally to. They lost their rallying point. So confusion came and people got slaughtered and killed as the battle lines lost their distinctive and they didn't know where to go. Hello, can you understand? And you see the church that becomes indistinct and drops its colours and its standard of Jesus is the way gets confused and people don't know where to go. There's no hope, there's no light on the hill. But we must lift up the name of Jesus. But if you live just Gerard, you go do it and let him take it all. No, we are to come together. We're to rally around. And one man carries the standard, but we are all there to reinforce. And Matthew 5 puts it like this. You are all the salt of this earth. But what good is the salt if it loses its flavor or distinctive? Can you make it salty again? needs to be thrown out. You are all this light in the world, like a city that needs to be distinctive, set on a hill, that isn't shrouded and covered. No one shrouds their lamp and hides it. Come on, place it where it will give light. Verse 16, in the same way, be a beacon of the good deeds. Let everyone see your generosity, your actions, so that they look at you and think, wow, I see the colours of God. The standard is being lifted up. And so for you here at Revive Church, I believe that God is asking you to find your distinctives. What is the, your distinctive colours to raise up on that beacon so that when Hull is going through times of hopelessness and despair, they can look to the standard and say, that is a safe place. I feel that Hull is being called to be a place of refuge and safety. A refuge city. It's a city where people can run and feel safe. Now, for a long time, you see, the devil always goes in the opposite. How many of you know? If you are light, what is the devil? Darkness. And so you see, the church has to go into the opposite spirit of the spirit you see around you. Amen? So if you've got darkness, what is the darkness that you see around you? Violence, hatred, insecurity, not a safe place. So if the church is going to be the light on the hill, it needs to be the place of safety. It needs to be a place of refuge. We can run in and feel safe. Because light is the opposite spirit to the spirit of the enemy. And I believe God wants to give you a revival, a revived mentality of making a safe place. People run in and say, I feel safe. <laughs> yes. I, I believe particularly he wants to give you a real mandate to break mental illness. I felt that there was a lot of mental Ill illness, just depression and oppression. And that, you see, God wants to turn the lights on in the dark place and give people hope in Jesus' name. So Isaiah 25, 3 to 4. 
Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. How? How glory awaits you. They put the banners up already to declare the church. Ruthless nations will fear you. Why? But you, look what they're fearing. Really interesting. They're fearing a city that's become a place of refuge and hope. <coughs> but you are a tower of refuge to the poor. A tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You will be a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. Come on, how Let this light come on. Be a refuge. Be a safe place for those going through hard times. I believe God wants to put a strong cry in this house of welcome home. The people walk in and say, oh, breathe out. I've found Home. So how do we pray? We pray for the opposite. Well, how do we stand on watch and pray for a nation? I say to people, what do you see that you hate that makes you go, no! Then pray for the opposite atmosphere. So we, re we push out loneliness. God put in family. We push out fear. God put in that sense of love and safety. We push out violence and hatred we bring it how, how many say i could do that you see that's releasing our words like beacons of hope and god's saying make a sound of hope i believe you are to be hope how should be the place of hope and many people say, oh, well, Hull, that's pretty hopeless. That's pretty dead. No, well, if that is what the enemy is saying, what should the church be saying? Turn the lights on. No, Hull is a place of hope. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, Hull. Come on, let's pray this for Hull this morning. Hull, we declare this for you. God has plans for you. Hull. God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How God has plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that amazing? You see, I believe God wants you to be that beacon, like a prophetic trumpet, and go, Hear ye, hear ye, be the new town crier. Come on, how we're speaking to the heavens above and the earth beneath. God has plans for you. I just believe that there's a lot of town planning going on at this time. But we need to say, now let the kingdom planning and the town planning come in alignment to make Jesus look good. I found it fascinating, even in Oxford on our news, we heard about Holy Trinity Church and the redevelopment of the piazza outside to make a place where the sound of creativity for the next generation could be released. And I thought, yes, God, but let it come out of the church. <laughs> Don't let it be because the church is so diminished that now we need to take the land and do something else. But oh God, let the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, begin to speak into us. And you might say, well, how's this going to happen? I want to say to you, a remnant is always enough. And you can suddenly say, but Rachel, do you really understand the huge task, the massive challenge that we have? Do you understand? Do you know what the figures are of unemployment, of mental health, 
Do you know what the addictions do? Do you understand? But you see, arise, shine. Your light has come. There is darkness, thick darkness on the city. God already knows it's pretty black. But then the verse goes on, but, but, but. Shift, change of atmosphere. My glory is enough. An incredible thing is God never needs huge numbers of people. He just needs a group of people that are utterly committed. And I want to ask you, come on, Hull, where's the lion heart? Where are the lions and lionesses? Where are those ready to storm the beacons and start a different sound across the nation? Where are those ready to rise up and say, no, not on my watch? A remnant is enough. Romans 11, 5 says this. When you looked at the whole thing of the Jews and the Gentiles, but I believe for this day, so too, at this present time. You see, from that time when God released the sound of good news to the Gentiles, he said, in every time, in every decade, in every season, at this present time, there is a remnant in heart chosen for the favor and grace of God. And so I believe God's looking at you and he's saying, are you ready to be on board? And there needs to be a hand that goes up, pick me, God, pick me. And it's not going to all be, you know, popcorn and great movies. <laughs> it's going to be some sweat, blood and tears. But come on, we've got some people with some work in you. Climb some mountains, take some peaks, have some confrontation. Do some stuff for the long haul. Come on, we need to do some repetitions. And be prepared to go back again and again. You see, I was in London recently in the war room and I saw this quote of Winston Churchill. We know it almost too well, read it with me. Never was so much owed by so many to so few. And I felt God speak to me as I saw that and he said, the British nation is going to say that of the church. Never was so much owed in Britain to a praying church. We're never going to be the majority, but we are going to have the majority of authority. Yeah. If we will take it. And I believe Hull's going to turn to Revive Church and say, we are so grateful for you. Because you stood up in our hour of need. You got on that wall. You saw something beyond what we could see. You reversed the curse of the dark atmosphere of hopelessness. You gave us hope. You gave us a safe place. To me, that is prayer. That we stand and say, oh God, shift it, change it. Let your kingdom come. If that's all you can pray, that's enough. But Hull's going to say, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. Never will so much be, never will so much be owned by so many to so few. Gideon had 30,000. Send them home, you only need 300. See, it's that small band of a militant warrior heart that said, it matters to me that Jesus looks good. So I believe it is time to dig ditches. I want to give you a picture of how you pray for a city and a nation. This is war. Well, 
It's a little bit like First World War, we're going to dig trenches, we're going to dig ditches. What do I mean by that? Well, come with me to a scripture, 2 Kings chapter 3, 15 to 18. But now, bring me the musicians. And then, I literally mean that in about three minutes. <laughs> and then it happened that as the musicians began to play, the hand of the Lord came upon me. And then he said, now make this city valley full of ditches. You see, before God comes, we've got some work to do. And how many of you know, digging ditches is not exactly glamorous work. It's hard work. It hurts your hands. And especially where I live in Oxford, where it is thick, horrible concrete clay, you feel you're getting absolutely nowhere. Anyone ever felt like that? But I want you to have a new perspective and pray. You see, God is saying... It goes on, for the Lord says, you will not see the wind or the rain. In other words, don't try and work out how the revival or how the transformation is going to take place. Don't work out how the God part is going to happen. Just mind your own business, get on and do your work. Sorted. I promise you, I can bring the miracles, I can bring the breakthrough, I can bring the water, I can do my bit. Because you won't even see it, but I promise you, this land is going to be filled with the water of the glory of God. But I want you to think about it. If God pours out his water, but there's no storm drains, there's no ditches, what's going to happen to the water? It's going to run straight off into the sea. But if you want the blessing of God to touch her, touch your city, touch your families, touch your workplace, you better start digging some intentional ditches yeah. towards where you want the blessing of God to flow. Because yeah. when the rain comes down, that water is going to get in that channel and hit it. Yeah. So what do I mean? Well, when you pray, very practically, I mean, I have a great chocolate Labrador and I love walking him. So every day I walk. <laughs> So, Father, number five, I thank you right now. You're going to touch that home. I find out their name. So, touch David Sonia. Bless those little kids right now. And literally, how many of you could do that as you walk into your workplace? Every day you walk past, it's one more shovel. How many of you can do some shovels every day? So, God, I'm going to dig a ditch to that man. And choose the ones that are contesting, those that are hateful difficult sometimes because actually you've got to reverse the atmosphere it's not about them it's about the atmosphere they carry needs to shift so you can rescue the person under their cloud so god i dig a channel there and dig a channel and then it's always suddenly with god how many of you notice that suddenly they come to you and say excuse me mate could i talk to you about something you think what's that and next minute they're coming to you they're saying actually my marriage isn't there at all. Yeah. But you've dug a ditch. Yeah. So say this with me as we close. First, First. talk to God, talk to God. About, your neighbor. about your neighbor, about your family, about your work. Then talk to your work, your family, your neighbor, about God. I'm going to dig. Some ditches. You see, I believe. Call for the musician. Why the musician? Because they change atmospheres. Worship changes atmospheres. 
God begins to shift an atmosphere, give you a different perspective, stand on your wall. Oh, I can see things in a different way. And then dig some ditches. That'll be hard work. But guess what? This is the time for the army in the UK to stand up and like beacons.